Ten years ago, we had Steve Jobs, Johnny Cash, and Bob Hope. Now we have no jobs, no cash, no hope. Is there life after death? Have you heard of this student who once asked this professor of philosophy, how do I know I exist? The teacher looked in the direction of the student, lowered his glasses and said, who shall I say is asking? <laughs> there is a sense in which even life is questioned in our times. Not to mention the flippancy with which we address death is staggering. Believe me, the statistic on death is 100%. One out of one people dies. Have you paused enough to consider this important question? We do read about Philip Gould and late Mr. Christopher Hitchens, who made those brave statements as death was staring them at their faces. Richard Dawkins, another famed atheist, has said he would like his death to be videotaped so that someone later does not claim that he had a deathbed conversion. But as for me, I do not have enough faith to be an atheist. Years ago, I recall an encounter with a gentleman who was battling with suicidal tendencies. In fact, I met him at a point when he was trying to poison himself to death. I vividly remember that confrontation. I stood there with him and I said, Are you really sure that death is the end to your life? What if there is something beyond the death? Are you really prepared for it? Your problems may not necessarily end with death. Is there life after death? Today, he is an example, reaching out to many young people in this city with meaning and hope that is found in the Bible. Did you know that Christian life in itself is a life after death? Let me qualify my statement. Well-known theologian, Reverend Dr. Michael Green said this, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. The roots of a Christian are at the grave of Christ. The biblical diagnosis of the human condition is that we are dead. Spiritually dead. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. God so loved the world that he gave his own and only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So is there life after physical death? There is a sense of difficulty in this question because it's talking about the future. What lies beyond the curtain, so to speak? But Jesus is uniquely positioned in history to address this question, but because he died on a good Friday, rose again on an Easter morning. So he knows what happens beyond the grave. And we have historical evidences for both his death 
as well as his resurrection. Jesus, before he died, was preparing his friends for his imminent departure. John's Gospel, chapter 14, following, is about this Jesus sharing his heart out with his immediate friends. He wants to prepare them. The last words from Jesus. John's Gospel, chapter 14, follows still about John's Gospel, chapter 17. In my Bible, I have the letters of Jesus in red ink. So those pages are all in red. You may want to read it sometime to capture what was really Jesus uh, expressing to his disciples. So he begins John's Gospel, chapter 14, by saying, Let not your hearts be troubled. Then he says, In my father's house are many mansions. I go prepare a place and come back for you. Thomas, one of his disciples, asked him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Thomas is asking a geographical question. Lord, where are the rooms? Jerusalem, where are the rooms? We want to get there as well. But Jesus gives him a classic answer. He is not giving him a geographical answer. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. So saying, Jesus went and died on that cross. In other words, the only way to God the Father is through the cross of Jesus Christ. The question, I think, is really not, is there life after death? But rather, do you want life after death? I recall growing up in a Christian home, I've had a rather uh, secure and happy childhood. I used to pray regularly a, a strange prayer. You are allowed to laugh for this one. I would pray, Lord Jesus, let not the world come to an end. Because there were these proclaimers who were saying, the world is going to end, Jesus is coming back soon. Now I was a keen follower of uh, uh, all that happens in the sports arena, the Grand Slam events, uh, and then the World Cup soccer, and uh, uh, I used to be a keen follower. Every morning as I get the newspaper, I only read the sports page and I'm, I'm thrilled, I'm excited. Apart from the fact that I used to have my own friends with whom I used to play every evening in the neighborhood, sports was my obsession. So when people told me, all this is going to come to an end, I was not happy. So I would literally pray, Lord Jesus, no. I want to continue on life. I'm having a good time. Heaven, not yet. And these proclaimers also told us in heaven, it's 24 hours worship and praise. Waving your hands. It wasn't really appealing to me. <laughs> I was having a good time here. But some time later in my journey of faith with the Lord Jesus, I realized if a football match can give me so much of pleasure, how much more pleasurable it would be to be with this God who invented, who came up with everything that is good. All good things come from God the Father. I recall following an interview that uh, late Mr. Christopher Hitchens gave at the BBC before he died in 2011. Hitchens told him, I'm not afraid of death, but I am afraid of the process of dying. 
And the interviewer asked him, after you die, what if you discover that you're wrong in your atheism? What if there is life after death? Among the other things that Mr. Hitchens said, he's really got away with words. He said, I would not want to operate out of a fear. So that doesn't really motivate him to consider the possibility of life after death. Richard Dawkins answers the same question and he says, the Christian may also be wrong because at death, what if the Christian realizes it's actually some other God that was true and not the God of the Bible. So he says, everybody is on the same page here with the risks involved. But I personally think that's not really addressing the issue head on. The question is this, Pascal's wager, addressed to a theist and to an atheist. A theist, what if he dies and then he discovers his belief in God and in the Bible is false? What happens? If death is the end of life, he or she hasn't really lost much because they've had a good life all along and then it's, it's okay, it ended there. But on the other hand, if an atheist dies and then he discovers that his atheism was wrong-headed. You've lost it all. Point of no return. So the argument is really this. It is better to be a Christian and be wrong than be an atheist and be wrong. Good to think about the question of life after death. The writer in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible says this. God has put eternity in the hearts of his people. So there is this eternity dimension or realm that's very real of human experience. We all want to live. We want our relationships to continue. We ask for justice. Even in the face of a tragedy. We ask those hard questions. How could God allow this to happen? Now one answer to that is this. We are not yet reading God's final chapter. God is not complete with his justice yet. We have to wait for God's final judgment. And then things will get clear. Because if you and I ask our questions, positing only the 20 or 40 or 60 years that we live on planet Earth, assuming that is all, that's not the biblical framework. God talks about eternity. So our questions should be put in the light of eternity. This story is attributed to Billy Graham, one of Christianity's leading evangelists in our times. He announced, one day the newspapers are going to flash. Billy Graham is dead. Billy Graham is no more. And he says, don't believe them. They are lying to you. I will be more alive than ever before. Let me conclude with another personal story. In our family, we are three brothers and a sister. My father's family. And my sister had a rather late marriage. And uh, there, was, there were times when we really 
or wishing that he'll, she will settle down in life and we are praying for her to find her life partner. So eventually when she did meet her man, we were also excited. And the one verse that really came into our minds was, again found in the book of Ecclesiastes, in his time he makes all things beautiful. So that's the verse we put in her wedding invitation card. I remember the wedding reception. My father proposed a vote of thanks. And he actually referred to the verse again. He said, in his time he makes all things beautiful. That was a special verse to us. Later after the marriage, my brother-in-law and my sister came home one day. And we went to a graveyard to visit my mother's grave. We said a word of prayer there and as we were walking out, my eye caught a verse etched on another gravestone. And it said, in his time, he makes all things beautiful. Fascinating, I thought, that only within the Christian provision, you could say that verse, in his time, he makes all things beautiful at a wedding celebration or even at a funeral service. That's the beauty of the gospel that the Lord gives to us. Jesus said, I am the life and the resurrection. Very interesting how John in the Bible organizes his testimony of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In that context, you read Jesus healing a man born blind. And then John says, John, says, John records Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. And then you see the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus says, I am the light and the resurrection. And in that context, you see Lazarus coming forth, four days dead in a grave. Jesus is the life and the resurrection. Do you want life after death? C.S. Lewis said this remarkably well. At the end of time, there are only two kinds of people. One group who say to the Lord, Thy will be done. And another group to whom God will say, All right, your will be done. Jesus invites one and all to partake of this gospel. Life now and life beyond the grave. He gives us that eternal life that everlasting life that he offers to you and to me. Let me conclude with this poem, which also is an invitation to one and all to receive this offer of everlasting life that Jesus gives us. I was shocked, confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's door, not by the beauty of it all, of it nor by its light or its decor. It was the folks in heaven that made me sputter and gasp. The thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics and the trash. There stood this kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb, who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus. What's the deal? 
I'd love to hear your take. How did all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Give me a clue. Hush, child, he said. They're all in shock. No one thought they'll see you. <laughs> Life after death is an open invitation to one and all. And we will do well at least to engage with this offer before we make a decision.